0: Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Charles Pence with Partners Trust in Santa Monica, California. Last year, he closed 27 transactions with a total sales volume of $85 million and earned $1.35 million in GCI. His average sales price was $3.1 million, of which 45% were buyers and 55% were sellers. He has one personal assistant. Charles Pence is a partner of the firm Pence Hawthorne & Silver. He's been an agent for 37 years. He's sold over 2,300 homes worth over $2 billion in his career. In this call, Charles talks about how he became a luxury agent and how you can move into the luxury market. Why he can earn all the money he needs by having 15 to 20 conversations per day. How he got over the fear of calling his sphere of influence, what he talks about, his new approach, and the script he uses. How the key to success is looking for change in people's lives. Door knocking in luxury neighborhoods every week for 20 years. Why he still holds three to four open houses per month and why he hires professional hostesses to gather contact information. Why low inventory is a myth and how to find all the listings you need. Team dynamics, profit margins and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, Real Estate Agent Lead Generation Television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Charles. Thank you for having me. Hey, Charles, it's great to have you. Before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate.
1: I moved to California originally as an actor, and I was in that business for about seven or eight years and then decided I wanted to make a living. So (laughs) I was looking around, did a couple of very basic job selling textbooks for a year, and then another job selling these large record-keeping systems. I hated that. And then I found somebody, a friend or somebody who was making 30000 a year, and then I thought, wow, what I would do to make 30000
0: a year. So <laughs> I took success and joined the club. So that's what got you into the business. And how long ago was that? 1978. 1978. Wow. So was that about 37 years? Yep. 37 years. When you started 37 years ago, did you have a fast start or a slow start in real estate?
1: That's a great question. And I did a deal within the first couple months, but the way the deal went, and the people that I was sitting around, I had uh, strong reservations about whether or not I could be a, a, a successful real estate agent, because I happened to be sitting around some very aggressive salespeople, top producers in my office, and then my first deal was with an Eastern European lady who was tougher than nails, and um, I wrote an offer on uh, Duplex that she had, and, and she said, get in my car, we're going to go present it, but scared me to death. I go jump in the car and she said, Now you don't say a word. I'm gonna do all the talking. And it was a it was a little duplex for so sixty seven thousand five hundred and my offer was sixty six five. And she said, Okay, this is a good offer you need to take and she said, Well I thought you told me I would get more than this if I listed it for this and she said, Well apparently I was wrong and if you don't sign this you're probably not gonna sell your property. So I sat there shivering in my booth the, lady, the young lady signed it, and that was my first deal. I was about 45 days in, but I, I had second-guessed that, and with the people around me, I had thoughts about, that's not my personality at all, and then the manager and I, who were, became good friends, said, you know what? It takes all kinds of this business, and then I, after the first couple of years, I realized that it was a great business and a great business for me.
0: Let's move into today. How many homes did you sell last year? you personally
1: I personally sold 27.
0: And do you recall the sales volume? It was 85 million. So your average sales price is something north of 3 million dollars. Yep, yeah, it is. Would you mind disclosing your GCI last year? Last year was 1.35 million. Wow, that is fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a long way from 30000 a year. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and if you were to look back, how many homes do you think you've sold in your career?
1: You know, I was thinking about it the other day. Well, I'd actually gone back and, and roughly counted it maybe 10 years ago because I, I wanted to know what kind of production that we'd had as a team with my partners and all that. And my production was about, I figured it was a I figured it was about twenty two hundred homes for me personally.
0: Did you add up the volume? How much sales volume that is? It's over two billion, like two point one billion, approximately two point one billion. Wow! So you're you're a a billion dollar agent two times over.
1: Uh, apparently, <laughs> that
0: was great. It never
1: really occurred to me till I went back and. Cause it's never been that's never been one of the things that drove me, but uh just when I thought that that might be a value when I saw the big billion signs up on the on the McDonald's, I got curious two years, and I thought, gee, I wonder how much volume we did so I went back through the years and and figured roughly what we had done as a team, and then I know the years I was by myself and then the years I was with the team I roughed out roughly what we had done as a group so that we could advertise it. And then when you asked, I
0: I personalized it a little bit. So let's clarify for everyone listening real quick. You've mentioned the team and the group a couple times. You're talking about the partnership that you have in your, your company right there, your office, with a couple other partners. Is that correct?
1: That's correct.
0: And how many partners are there? I have three, two primary partners and then a junior partner. And then you have a few agents that are working with you as well, listing specialists, buyer specialists. Those folks are working on their own business, not the 27 that you closed yourself.
1: Correct. Yeah, some, you know, did like two or three deals last year and one did 10. So, you know, they the total probably with all those other people other than my partners, I think was less than 20 transactions.
0: And if you added up the volume for your company real quick, I think you mentioned it earlier, uh, what was the volume last year for your company, your little group of people there, your partnership? It's just under $200 million. Did you say that this is not your only office, that the partnership goes beyond this office?
1: We're a partnership, Pentathlon and Silver, but we're one of the founders of a company called Partners Trust Real Estate and Acquisitions. So we're we're involved in helping run that company too, um, to some degree. So, um, that, that company partners trust has nine offices, including, we just, uh, opened one in China and one in Malibu. So we're in the Santa Monica office, which is one of the nine offices, but we also have part ownership of the company partners trust. It's a little confusing because we're, you know, we've got responsibility to the, primary company partners trust but we have a partnership that so we actually were about 11 percent of the gross of the company last year 12
0: percent so the company has really grown it also sounds like you've gone international you're beyond the u.s border
1: We're beyond the U.S. borders. We have another company called uh, Global Leverage Partners that we're building, uh, which is boutique companies. We own the company, but we have partners in now 145 countries, and we've gone and solicited some of the top boutiques around the world to be uh, partners with us in a referral network. So we're in the process of building that. We've spent about a million dollars on that network so far. That's Partners Trust, which we're part of. It's or that's half, and But it's the company Partners Trust that owns that company.
0: Well, Charles, that is really awesome, and and I'd like to go down that path. However, I know I'm getting off topic. What I do like about that is you're showing everyone listening that you can start as a single agent and build this thing up much, much larger than that, as big as you can dream. So thank you so much for opening up and sharing a little bit about the the bigger picture. Let's narrow back down into your daily practice. Again, your 27 transactions last year, your 85 million one of the things that that you mentioned in our preliminary work is that you think there's a a myth going on right now about low inventory. Could you tell us what you mean by that?
1: I think that a lot of people look in the MLS or they look around, and some I think in some cases it's just an excuse that some of us use not to go beyond the the, the you know the box that we've created, the size of the box, and I think that there's. There's a lot of inventory that people just agents just aren't paying attention to. They're they're not working uh, with each other as much as they could to share leads. You know, pocket listings, for instance, and people that uh, are going to be coming on the market but aren't on the market yet. So, what happened within our company? Our company is really a, a tight group. happen and Silver is that we created this this environment for the people that work here that's very open and sharing. Everybody helps each other. We're all interchangeable parts. And so part trust not because of us, just because we had the same vision and has that same kind of um attitude. So people are so busy sharing information on our, our company that of the one point eight billion that we did last year, thirty five percent of it were pocket listings. There were there were transactions that uh were not public transactions or private transactions, which is a huge number, and it was never something we set out to do. So I think what ends up happening with a lot of agents at different companies, I think they feel like they're uh, unto themselves, that they're, they're an island, and a lot of them just kind of work on their own, work doing whatever they do. They, they don't interact enough with other agents to find out all this other inventory that's available. They're not asking the right questions of the people they talk to during the day. A great example is a lot of people blow off looky loos who they think are looky loos when they come in on open houses. And for me, I think they're one of the best sources of information. I love to talk to them. I encourage them to come in. I thank them for coming in. When I know a lot of people kind of blow them off thinking, oh, I heard of that same couple that came in last week and they're never going to buy anything. And I love to talk to them and ask them, what's the best thing you've seen? You obviously know more about the market than most of my compatriots do. Uh, what have you seen that you like? And, you know, they just light up because instead of being kind of pushed out the door by most, they give me all kinds of information. So I get a lot of information from people like that, and I'm always giving pocket information to other agents and then asking in exchange for pocket information. So there's a lot of a lot of inventory out there that the average agent doesn't know about because they don't they don't think anything exists outside of the MLS.
0: Let's define that for everyone to make sure they understand, and you've you've done a pretty good job of it. So a pocket listing is a listing that doesn't go into the MLS, and for whatever reason, the listing agent is holding that back. It's a private listing that, again, is not being exposed through the the general MLS. Why would an agent do that? Why would an agent hold back a pocket listing and, and not expose it to the overall market?
1: It's somewhat of a euphemism uh, actually probably even using the word pocket listing because in in many cases, they're not actually listed properties. They're clients that are going to be coming on the market with their property at some point in the future. Um, or they've been on the market in the past, or there's new construction where the builder would would consider selling it, you know before uh, before he actually completes the property. So, some of them aren't even actually that I'll have. I'll have any one time uh, eight or ten people that I know would sell if they could get the price they want. Or it's, uh, you know, I've got four or five new construction that are coming up that uh, they would go into an escrow with somebody right now. We have two of them right now in escrow that aren't completed property. So, and then in our marketplace, it's somewhat unusual, but there are people in our marketplace that just, they're celebrities, or they just hate the process of people coming through their house. Uh, the whole invasion of privacy thing. Um, I got another one that's in a lawsuit, and he doesn't want the world to know what he's doing, so I'd like to sell it quietly. So, there, some of them, a, a few of them are people that actually are listed, and they tell their agent they'll put it in the MLS, but they're advertised possibly, or they're sent out, you know, e blasted to all the top agents like I just did with that one, or uh, the majority of them are people that said, you know, if I got this number and now that the market keeps climbing, you get, eventually can get to that number. And then all of a
0: sudden it's somebody that would sell that hasn't really raised their hand and said, Hey, um, let's put it on the market. You're, Definition of a pocket listing is really a knowledge base of people, uh, potential people that are about to come into the market. They're kind of sitting on the sidelines. They haven't actually signed a listing yet, but they're sitting on the sidelines waiting for something to happen. And that's just kind of sitting in your head. Uh, now you've mentioned also that you want to create a network of that of that information, and you're doing that by connecting with other agents that may also know some of this private, confidential information about someone who's thinking about coming in the market. And you're trying to be a broker, traditional broker, bringing those those pieces of information together for people outside of say the the traditional MLS search. Uh, you're doing a search in your 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 nog in your brain uh, and connecting with other people in their brains on what information they have is that all correct
1: yeah that's correct and it really comes about because there are, if you look in the mls there's not a lot of inventory we out of the in our primary marketplace there are twenty five hundred and fifty homes and right now there are twenty five listings so then like, there are hundreds of people that are trying to sell in this marketplace so it you have to look beyond the tradition of how inventory is available when there's that little inventory there's, we've had as many as a oh, like hundred, 125 listings, you know, in a down market where there's plenty of inventory for people. But right now the, the inventory is, is too low to cover what's on the publicly at least. So this is a way to kind of create inventory.
0: You've been through, 37 years, you've been through a lot of cycles up and down. What you're saying is the pocket listings seem to happen more when you're in a really hot market. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, because you have to dig deeper. You have to dig as an agent. You've got buyers that are really frustrated that they can't find what they want. So I just start calling around to find out who's thinking about doing something or talking to people that come through the open houses and that sort of thing, trying to find out who might sell even though they're not they're not actively looking to sell but they would sell if they got the right price or in some cases the right terms you know they you give them a to tear down for a builder you give them three to six months free free lease back and then they got plenty of time to go find something else
0: let's step back for everybody and tell everybody where you're at where is santa monica california
1: Santa Monica, California is the western tip of Los Angeles. It's uh, the the last city going west uh, on the beach if you were on the 10 freeway. Um, below us is Silicon Beach, Venice, California, and then going up the coast, which is actually, people think of it as north, but it actually becomes west, is Malibu. So we're kind of right smack between Venice, California, and and Malibu, right on the beach. It's a city of about 88,000 people, but it's a fairly wealthy community. It's got a budget of almost $600 million a year for 88,000 people, which is a budget for a typical city of about 450,000 people.
0: Is that a suburb of L.A., or is that connected to L.A.?
1: I would say it's a suburb. That's it's part of the LA County and LA Basin. Uh, LA is this thing that kind of wanders everywhere out into the valley, the north. That there, I think this basin has about I don't know what it is, something like eight or ten million people, and we're just sort of the western neighborhood. It's Santa Monica is a private city with its own police force and fire department, but literally... Eight, ten blocks away, you're in LA with all LA services. So it's, I think a suburb is probably a good description.
0: Could you please describe that current market there in Santa Monica?
1: Prices are still going up. This is crazy this year as it was last year. Our typical buyers are local. We do get some uh, foreign buyers, but primarily they're the rank and file that live in the city and, and they like the weather here because in Santa Monica the weather is kind of temperate all all year round. It's uh, the best weather, weather in L.A. as you go east, it gets hotter and smoggier. And topographically, Santa Monica has the mountains on two sides and the ocean on the other, and the air just blows in and cleans out everything. So people love being here. It's great for kids. It's got a great school system. And we have a lot of fund managers, a lot of young people involved in the financial industry. We have a lot of entertainment people, and we have the banking and you know, kind of the new money. We're getting a lot of people from the Internet businesses and that sort of thing. So they're mostly younger people. The average, the lot values on the smaller lots are... Our typical lots where we are are either seventy five hundred or nine thousand square feet, and the seventy five hundred square foot lots are now selling for around three million and the larger lots nine thousand are selling in the mid threes and they're even though they're land value, a lot of them now are very uh livable houses. The land has doubled in value in the last six years, so we're now seeing builders buying if they can get them from an owner-user, are buying 2,500 to 3,500 or 4,000-square-foot
0: houses and tearing them down. Do you participate in that? Do you work with builders to find a lot to scrape off a house and build a new one?
1: Yeah, I definitely have that as part of my business. It's probably about 20% of my business or 25% because on the 7,500-foot lots now, the houses are selling between... Six and a half and six point eight million. And on the bigger lots, the nine thousands are selling for between seven and seven and a half million. And then I just sold one on a twelve thousand foot lot, it was a ninety five hundred square foot house. Uh, We were listed at nine and a half million, and I sold it with multiples at ten one fifty.
0: Charles, do you have a, a niche or a specialization in your market? Not really. I
1: mean, my Big sale last year was 10 million. My low sale was 600 thousand, and that 600 was just a client that called and said, "We're bringing our my wife's mother out here, and we need a condo. Can you help me find one?" I took them out in one day, and they bought one. But I, my, I would say my average transaction is closer to 4 million. It gets I'll do a few of these other ones for for people, and or lot values will pull it down. But I, I, I go anywhere from really on, on average, it's in the two's, most of it's mid twos up to six or seven million. And then I'll have a few above that. And then I've got a few where I'm helping somebody and I'll, uh, they'll be below that.
0: The average properties that you're selling, the two to six million, are the prices that high because of the area and the prices have been shot up? Or are you working at the luxury end of your market where you're selling homes that are higher than the average in the area?
1: People typically say you guys always get the best properties. We've been in this marketplace for a long time and we've had the luxury here. Our average sale price is, is higher than most. Santa Monica in general is higher, you know, in terms of dollar per square foot for dirt than some of the areas around it. But the Pacific Palisades and Brentwood, you uh, know, on over to Beverly Hills, they're all very expensive neighborhoods tangential to this, you know, and the. the the local communities next to us on either side are, are just as expensive for something similar size. I think Santa Monica appeals to more the leave it the beaver crowd. If you go into the high ended markets, higher end markets in Santa Monica, one is called the Palisades Riviera, the lots are larger, is the primary thing, but most of them are behind gates and they don't have sidewalks. So some of those very wealthy people who could afford 10, 15, 20 million, they want to have sidewalks. So they have to kind of compromise to be here. You can walk to the beach. You can walk down to Montana Avenue. So we got ours is sort of a niche for wealthy people that kind of want the family environment where they're going to know their neighbors and they're going. To, we get a lot of people walking up and down the street, and people early in the morning. The ladies are out walking. People are jogging or they're doing that at night. They're out walk, walking their dogs. So that is a niche for the West Side. It, it really is. One of a kind, and then it has its own uh, public services and has a lot of money, this city. So it draws people that want to have, have their kids in private school or
0: public schools instead of private, although many of them that live here are in private schools. Charles, do you consider yourself a luxury agent? Are you selling luxury homes? I would say yes in my
1: marketplace. I'm the, a luxury agent in my marketplace in Santa Monica. Um and I saw things outside of Santa Monica but um, as everybody knows and reads in the paper, you've got the ultra luxury, which is Beverly Hills and Bel Air and those great big properties like that, or the ones in the Palisades Riviera or Brentwood Park, where you've got big lots and, and huge houses that can go anywhere from fifteen to a hundred million. So that to me is kind of like the ultra luxury market. I'm in the luxury homes of my market in Santa Monica.
0: How do you tap into clients that want to buy and sell luxury homes? And with that, of course, we're looking from the perspective of folks listening and if they wanted to tap into working that market, they wanted to start working with luxury home clients.
1: Going back to the beginning, I didn't know anybody in LA and I just fell in love with this particular marketplace. And at the time I had a different partner. And so we just started door knocking and we door knocked for 20 years, but we only door knocked twice a week. And I don't think that we were, or I am even now, I'm nothing, I'm nothing special. I just, I think I was more consistent with basics than everybody else. A lot of people came and went and came and went and I generated a lot of Goodwill by handing out scratch pads for 20 something years. And so I, I got to meet a lot of people that way. And then I, I would get referred to business from that. And then I've always done open houses because it, I, I learn more about what people's feelings are about the market by holding open houses. And I meet a lot of great people. And then maybe 20 years ago, I thought a friend of mine who. Was a few years older than I was. Came to me one day, and he was saying, "Yeah, my business is slowing down because my my fellow compatriots, friends, and everything are getting to an age where their kids are going, but and so they're not moving as as often." And I decided, you know, I don't want that to happen. So I thought, who do I like working with? And I I love working with young entrepreneurial, up and coming, entrepreneurial younger people you know in their 30s or 20s or even 40s that's just the upwardly mobile crowd so i always focus okay where can i find them well different organizations but mainly i did uh, and i do a lot of open houses and i need a lot of people at the opens because we typically get 15 20 30 people on a sunday so that's not, not what I do now. And if I were a new agent today uh, and you wanted to move up into another marketplace, you've got to find those people. And so you've got to in, you know, interject yourself into that marketplace where those people are going to be. And, and those are the people that are out looking for those priced homes. So you do what you can to either get a listing or you beg some of the agents that have those listings and they have too many of them. Uh, if you can do an open house and start sitting. And if they won't let you do Sundays because they want to do Sundays, see if you can get them uh, to let you do Saturdays. Uh, frankly, when we first started, we were starving for business and we got one new construction and we held it open seven days a week from 11 to four. And this was before cell phones and and, and computers really. And we just sat there and Held it open, and by the time six months or eight months were up, and we finally sold that house, everybody in the neighborhood thought that we were, you know, the the dominant player in the neighborhood because they would driven by our signs every day, and actually we'd only done two deals. So I think being being out there, you get out, you knock on doors, you knock on the heads, like one of my coaches say, where you you're always talking to people about real estate, you know, and wherever you are, it's a and a you know, you're trying to find out, as he always says, everybody that's alive lives somewhere, and, and everybody who's alive, their life changes every day in some way, so you don't know from one day to the next who's doing what. You can talk to somebody one day, and they're not doing anything. You talk to them the next, and they are doing something, and so I I maintain a, a constant flow of conversations with people every day. The goal is to... Talk to uh, 15 to 20 people every single day about real estate. So if I do that, I know that I can make all the money that I need. If I'm not doing that, I know that I'm going to have problems along. I may have problems along the way because I'm not staying in touch with people. I always tell people that my phone doesn't ring unless I'm picking it up and making calls. My phone rings a lot when I'm picking it up and encouraging people. Uh, In the different things that are going on in the marketplace, some of the beautiful houses, even though I know they're not in the market to do something, I'll still call them just to talk to them and find out if anything has changed or find out if they know anybody that's doing something or might be interested in seeing something new. So it's it's communicating with people on a regular basis every day. I'm successful mainly because I talk to 15 to 20 people a day. Whether that's an open house or just sitting down, people say, "Oh, yeah, but you've got a big, huge database. I don't have that." Well, then go out and sit at Starbucks and start talking to people. You know, go out and knock on doors. You got the key is you got to be talking to people about real estate and and the opportunities that are out there.
0: You mentioned a couple of ways to get in front of people: were door knocking, open houses, and then calls you said you you try to make a, a call or contact with 15 to 20 people per day. You also mentioned your database. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your database. Who's in your database and how big is it?
1: My database is right now about 1,500 people and they're people in my sphere of influence. They're people that I've done transactions with in the past. And, and you know, I mean, that includes you know, vendors and and friends and family and all that sort of thing. So, you know, probably of the 1,500, there are probably 1,200 people that I could call at any point about anything. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anybody I couldn't call about. If I find something that I think is a really interesting property, literally I could pick up the phone and call any of them because I think if you can find something that would be of interest to somebody, whether you think they're a buyer or seller, is really irrelevant. You, you you need to call and stay in flow with people. I think the worst thing that can happen is agents sell a house to somebody and then they kind of wander away from them. And then they wonder why they don't get the listing. All of a sudden something changes a year later in their life and they're listed with somebody else that just happens to be in flow with them. So you got to stay in touch with people. you got to find out what people are thinking. you got to find out what, what's going on in people's lives. You know, the best first prospecting question is how are you? That's the first prospecting question you can ask if life changes every day. So you've got to find out who who's who's changing, what's changing in different people's lives that you run into every day. And you know, we won't walk by, you know, fifty people a day probably. And any one of those people, in fact a certain percentage of those people are either on the market or are gonna be on the market or could buy or sell something if if they knew that you had something of interest to show them.
0: Charles, it sounds to me, from what you're saying, that when you make these calls each day to your to your sphere of influence, past clients, and so forth, that you're bringing up a property or some type of real estate opportunity rather than just talking about uh, what happened in uh, a sporting event the night before, some some general topic, you're actually bringing up a specific property and saying, hey, this just came up and I was wondering if you're interested. Am I getting that right?
1: Yeah, I used to, I mean, for 20 years, I did it the other way. I didn't want to bother anybody. So I would knock on doors and it was all about petting the dog and finding out who the kids were and where they went to school and keeping it personal and then um, I, as I had some training along the way, I realized that that's great, but that's future business. And really what I wanted was I wanted now business. I wanted business that was available now. And if I'm just talking about kids and I never get to real estate, I'm waiting for people to call me. And that, that's very frustrating because you never can control, you know, the flow of business to you that way. You're just kind of waiting for the phone to ring. And that. So this way it created a whole new spirit to the, to the business. I, as long as I'm in the flow and just talk to people, I'm not trying to pressure anybody. I'm just calling them with things of interest to lead me to a a real estate conversation with people. You know, I, I talked to a lot of strangers too during the day, because most people will say, yeah, but it's easy for you because you're calling people, you know, well, I'm calling some people I know, but at an open house, I don't know very many of the people at all. They're all strangers. Another thing that one of my coaches does that I thought was really clever: he'll call a friend, and he'll just introduce the call as a business call. Hey, Mike, it's Charles Pence. Calling. A, it's actually a business call. Really? What is it you're calling about? So you get, you know, you get into the business part of it right away. It doesn't have to be that way, but you can set the tone. because sometimes those personal calls, you never get off the personal part of it.
0: I like this idea that you're calling up with a piece of real estate in mind but I'm still trying to get my, my head around how that conversation flows. Would you mind doing a little role play or a little sample of, of how that would work if if you were calling me and, and you had a piece of real estate or how, however you would do your call? Let's say you did you did your 15 calls today. How would that conversation go?
1: Well, the first thing I do in the morning if I don't have – properties that I think are of interest in whatever way they are, and it could be, and I'm not a commercial guy, uh, really, I, I don't do much commercial, I don't do much multiple family, some multiple family, but I'm just looking for great opportunities out there, and if I saw a great opportunity, and regardless of whether you, maybe you bought a house for me, I would just call and say, hi Mike, it's Charles Pence, how are you today? Great, thank you. I was calling, Mike, uh, because I just saw this great apartment building uh, here in Santa Monica that is uh, a wonderful opportunity, and I was wondering if you guys had ever thought about maybe investing in real estate.
0: You know, we've toyed with the idea, but but we've just never got serious about it.
1: Somebody gave me a great suggestion way back when, and uh, when my kids were little, I said, you know what you should do is you should buy a duplex or a triplex right now, put it in their name and let that pay for their college education because it will be paid off by the time they go. And then when they're through with college, sell it, split the money up between them, and they can go buy a house in the marketplace. So I thought that was a great suggestion. Is that something that might be of interest to you, just a, a smaller investment of a duplex or a triplex?
0: Wow, that's funny that you say that. My wife and I were just talking about what we were going to do with Sally. You know, She's only five, but college is coming up. So I, I think I would be interested in hearing more about that.
1: Yeah, it's a great opportunity to get your feet wet and let somebody else uh, build a college fund for you. Um, and then the other thing is most parents are nervous about whether their kids are ever going to be able to move into their neighborhood or stay in the and the cities that they live in, because things are so expensive, and it's a way to mitigate that a little bit is to give them a head start uh, along the way. So, if you'd like, I can I can uh, I can run these by you. And I would normally have one, Great, you know, I would I would introduce you to one. I, I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't have one to introduce you to. I'd say, well, the, there is one of those over on Second Street, one two three Second Street, and they're asking seven fifty. 750000 for it. It, has, it. With 20% down, it would actually break even. So over time, it'll actually make money. But you'd be building equity. Would that be of interest to you? And if it is, then I would send it to him. We would talk about it. And then I would, before I'd get off, I'd start climbing the rest of the tree. And rather than just the trunk, I'd say, who can you think of that might have some interest in something like this? And You would say whatever you're going to say. Or I might call about a single-family home and say, you know, this great house came up two blocks over from you. It's this Spanish five-bedroom great house, and it's actually at a very reasonable price. And I would give them the rundown on it and say, can you think of anybody, Mike, or have you guys thought about um, moving up? If you were in a smaller house, I might say, gee, this would be a great move-up house for you guys If if you thought about that. I'm calling people that have younger kids, and as I know they've had one or two or three kids, and now they've got you know they started out with the twenty five hundred square foot home and now they, I know they have three kids now. I'll call them with an opportunity say, Mike congrats on your third kid. You may be ready for a a little bit larger home or are you guys considering adding on
0: so you're keeping a database with all kinds of particulars about that past client sphere of influence that person of interest for you and that then you're able to tap into that database while you're talking to them and look back at your notes to give you a quick reminder about their children and ages and needs that they may have
1: yeah and uh, but it's the same way when I'm talking to a stranger
0: uh, you know I, I ask a lot
1: of questions um, as many questions as I can I can get an answer and then whatever they tell me leads to the next question because I want to find out the same questions that I have in my database about other people. I want to find out who Mike Cerrone is, who, who he's married to, and how many kids do you have? Oh, that's great. And well, where do they go to school? And you, you would tell me, and I'd say, oh, that's terrific. What ages are they? And I just keep digging for information because all of that is related to potential real estate needs. And, you know, you get a sense after a while of, well, they've got three kids and, you know, he may have a new job and he's got more money coming in and why are they out looking? Because people that are wandering around sometimes are actual buyers or sellers. So it's, I think it's it's all about just asking questions and then, you know, you're looking for that small string that you can pull a little bit and then it's a little thicker string and thicker string and you're trying to get the yes or no as quickly as you can and stay away from the maybe.
0: You're trying to get to the yes or no as fast as you can, and stay away from the maybes.
1: Yeah, and I, this is a Fred Wilson quote, and he said, "Yeses make you money, noes save you money, maybes cost you money." Because so many agents that I know, when they aren't that busy or not doing that well, they're just dragging anybody around in their car. They're hooked up with people that never really qualified because they don't want to have they don't want to have nobody in their backseat and they'd work with maybes, or they might even be working with no's. Uh, They just can't admit it to themselves, because then they wouldn't have anybody. You know, if you're not talking to people, then that kind of thing can happen. But if you're talking to a lot of people every day about the marketplace, about business, and you're finding out tangentially who that person could lead you to, one person could lead you to five, you know, potential leads. And especially if you know about stuff that's off-market, then it's great to call people because you say, you know, I just heard about this house. It's not on the market. And would this be something you guys might be interested in? Who could you think of that might be interested in something like this? I've got other pockets. Then you find out if they're, if they're possibly even interested in doing anything in any of the realms, you know, whether it's multiple family, whether their company is moving or, you know, what their how their business is doing and you, from those kinds of things, how's business, Mike? And you would tell me. And from that, I can maybe gauge whether or not there's an issue there. You know, it's, it's really asking a lot of great questions, but really listening to the answers and hoping that that answer is going to lead you back into change. You're always looking for change. I'm always looking for something that they're saying that, that could potentially lead to change. Because when change happens for people, it can happen to their real estate.
0: Charles, you, you've got your database. You said you have 1,500 people in there. What kind of software are you using to track these folks? I've been using Outlook, which is okay. We have always had a database
1: that we've used for mailing and stuff, and that's been on a top producer. But frankly, I haven't found a great database. It, uh, you know, when you're using Apple products and, and they're being cross-platformed, you know, from the phone and the iPad to you know, PC and Outlook, you know, there tend to be uh, glitches and technical issues. I, I haven't really found a great database that I'm comfortable with say you know, you should use this. If somebody's on a PC, you know, they're that's one thing. If they're on, a, on an Apple product, then they need to stay with that kind of thing. But I, I've been using Outlook. And then we use them as a company or as a partnership. We, we put everything in Top Producer, or at least we put some of the stuff in Top Producer. Uh, we run our mailing list out of there.
0: Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now back to the show. I'm aware that a lot of your business comes out of repeating referrals from your past clients and sphere of influence. What type of marketing do you do to stay in front of those folks? Could you give us an outline of your marketing plan over the course of a year? That would include calls, mail, email. Uh, What do you do to stay in front of these folks over the course of a year?
1: The first thing we do is we mail to about 6,000 people once a month, whatever it is that we're going to send out. If it's a newsletter, which goes out, this oversized click paper newsletter that goes out, four times a year. Um, we, we just started using a new publication um, in our marketplace called Digs Magazine, and they hand-deliver to 18,000 homes, um, the high-end luxury homes um, on the west side, west of the freeway, the 405. And then um, I don't really... We spend a lot of money on marketing and that sort of thing, but frankly, uh, most of my business comes from making contacts. And that's, we, we do the other just to stay in front of people. But if I'm making 15 or 20 calls a day, I'm not generally missing that many clients. I'm finding out what they're doing by just picking the phone up and having a conversation. And if I'm not getting, if there wasn't somebody to call on the phone, that's the open houses, I get my 15 or 20 typically on a Sunday, you know, on a three or four hour open house. Or I'm picking up people, I just see people, I have to sit in the window on a busy street in a busy corner, and I've got a bunch of business that way too, just from strangers. But Or if I go to the coffee shop, it's for me, it's more about, we do all the marketing that everybody else you know, does, but I, I know where the business really comes from. It comes from picking the phone up.
0: Let's be real clear, are you making 15 to 20 dials per day, or are you actually having 15 to 20 conversations?
1: 15, 20 conversations like that brief one that we just had, it may go 20 or 30, 40 questions. It may end after five. You know, I may be talking to somebody at Starbucks and they just, there's nothing there. You know, <laughs> you're talking to them, but they don't want to talk to you, but you brought up in you know, a real estate and talked a little bit and then they go up in line. So it could be as short as that, or it could be calling a past client or I send out, um, email blasts to builders uh, when I see a lot value I send it to all of them um, and then some of them will call me and we'll talk about if they have some interest in it and then I find out what other projects they have going on too that, that I don't know about yet. So I, I just find ways to talk to everybody. I, I don't think there's really anybody that you can't do have a Q and a about life change with that some last a little longer than others and it's a no, and it's after three or four. Somebody's just not being that friendly. That's a contact because I attempted, it. but it, uh, I don't count a uh, I don't count a voicemail. I leave somebody a voicemail or send them an email unless they call me back and we talk about it.
0: Are you putting together any kind of past client parties or events? Yeah, actually,
1: what we're doing right now, we're actually got a big. Event coming it's our twenty fifth anniversary, so we've got we're inviting three hundred people to this uh, this private club on Ocean avenue, and we're going to have this big extravaganza but on a on an annual basis, there are a few events that they have on the street here for merchants, so we'll make a bigger deal out of it than most of the merchants. We invite all of our clients and then we set up a wine bar coffee bar hors d'oeuvres and champagne and stuff like that. If we have a uh, an especially great luxury home, we'll have one of my partners is from South Africa, and, and we have these high tees, and we'll invite um, we'll invite a thousand of our top clients or 500 of our top clients, sometimes more, sometimes all the neighbors to come preview it and have it open on a Sunday from uh, noon to five, and we'll you know cater. Uh, the food and the drinks and we'll get two or 300 people that will show up for an event like that. And these are all people that we know or we know of. We don't always, they may be a neighbor that we haven't met. So, we, but we get great exposure with that. And we get great exposure with phenomenal piece of property. They just keep identifying us with great properties that way. And then we have four five events that happen on the street during the year and we kind of blow them up for ourselves and we just make them more than they, than they really are meant to be with uh, the local merchants who are just trying to get people to come in for sales and things like that.
0: You've mentioned multiple times that you do open houses. How often do you hold an open house?
1: I hold them open. I would say three out of four Sundays. I mean, they could go every Sunday for stretches if I have good listings to sit on, that kind of drives it. If I'm out of inventory, then I might take a break. But I, I try and sit every Sunday because I think that, that there's just too much information that that happens on Sundays at open houses. You know, when you're talking to people, you can find out how they feel about the marketplace. You can find out what they know about other properties in the marketplace. You you can find sellers and buyers and. You know, a lot of times we're it's when we're there, it's like a listing appointment. We're being interviewed by prospective people a lot of times, and we just don't know it. So I I just think they're invaluable in my marketplace because we get we get a lot of people. They're they're people that work in more remote areas, or their houses are up in the hills here. And you know, they get three, four, five people. That would be frustrating to spend all afternoon and only talk to three or four people. But ours happen to be in an area where there's a lot of traffic. So week after week, bad week, roll maybe there's 15 people after it's been around for a while. A good week could be 50 or 70.
0: And you're holding these on Sunday. Did you say what time you're holding them? In the wintertime, it's 1 to 4.
1: Uh, the summertime, it's 2 to 5. So that people aren't open houses when they start getting dark for safety. So we, we run them 1 to 4 during the, the wintertime, 2 to 5 in the summer. But I stretch them out sometimes. I'll go at noon. If I don't have anything else going on and I I want to put in a little extra time in, because we put our signs and flags out like at 8 or 9 in the morning so that people know. We put out 30, 40 signs, you know, with the addresses of of all the properties on each one. So the flags and signs are up so people would come early. And so if I feel like doing that for an extra hour, I'll, I'll open it for an extra hour and talk to a few extra people
0: how do you promote your open house you said you put up flags and signs anything else that you're doing
1: no not really I mean you know they, they they're in the paper the company puts them in the paper and and that kind of thing uh, they're they, they run it in the MLS but our our primary thing is we try and surround our neighborhood with signs so when we sign things we don't necessarily just sign the street it's on we may sign it on other streets because we' we want to envelop the neighborhood that we work with those 40 signs. So no matter where somebody's coming or going, they're going by one of our open house signs that we use it as branding as much as we do as directional.
0: Your directional signs, are they branded? It sounds like they are.
1: Absolutely. They're one of our best sorts of branding, and that's why we put out as many as we can. We put out more than we're supposed to sometimes, but there was a time when we put out 50 to 60, and and that was that's a lot of signs on the interior, and then all the way around the outside of the 2,550 homes, we would have them on the busy four busy streets on the four different sides.
0: Did I understand that you're putting the address on the sign? Yeah, if we have four opens, we'll put four addresses on every sign. So you may have more than one home in that area open at a time.
1: Yeah, and because. We don't really use them as directional signs. We use them as branding advertising. So we'll put the all the addresses of you know two or three. If it's if it's in and out uh, another area, we'll just put the one address on it. But if it's within our our farmer primary farmer, we'll put all the addresses of all the opens on it. And it could be one or it could be three or four. And that way we can put them virtually anywhere and we can put them on every street, every street. We want want to put them on all the busy streets. We don't just have to put them on the street where one is open. So we use it as branding and uh, recognition as much as anything really on the weekend.
0: How do you add the address to the directional sign? Is it a rider? Is there a space on the sign for you to write it in? How are you putting the address on the sign?
1: We print them on the computer on an eight and a half by eleven sheet or uh, eight and a half by you know a legal size, and we have a sleeve, a plastic sleeve that we, we installed on the, on the front of the signs. We've left space for this plastic sleeve. and so we just slide them in the sleeve, and in there there are uh, also extra ones that uh, the, the sign our sign guy can put out. Uh, pull out if he wants to say canceled or, you know, open from 2 to 5, open from 11 to 2, one of those kind of things, too, if it's like for a broker's open on a Tuesday. So we'll leave extra ones in that sleeve, but we always put a fresh one in each Sunday that's on the outside that'll say um, on each side of the sign uh, these dresses of the houses that we have open. And then in our open houses, we have what we call our 18-shot. We have all of our listings that are in escrow or active on two sides of a sheet of paper with a picture and then some uh, verbiage and the price uh, about each property. There are nine on the front, nine on the back. And we hand those out there to everybody that comes in the open Some direct them to other listings that we have.
0: So you're handing out uh, more information there at the open to direct the folks that came through, these guests, to other listings that you have in the area.
1: Exactly. And then if we don't have... Something uh, for them. On, we also take with us the uh, a copy of the Sunday uh, MLS form, so that we can talk to them about maybe another open house if we feel that um, we got a connection with them. Try and get them to commit to us if we give them the address of other properties, and then try and call them shortly after we think they went through, so they don't get picked up by that agent. Do
0: you collect? contact information at the open house? Do you have a registration book?
1: Yeah. So sometimes if, it, if I know I'm going to have a busy one, there are a couple of people that I hire as hostesses and they're really great because they're beautiful women and they they get everybody to sign in at the front door because, if, you know, if you're talking to people, you may be walking with somebody showing them house, you think you have a, a live one, live buyer or seller or something. And so I'll hire these girls that come and just get all the information. Try and get the name, address, phone number, and email address, so I can call them back to find out. Because you can't talk to them all if the 30, 40 people that come through, even 20, you can't really Q and A everybody. So I, I will hire them probably, you know, once a month or you know first time we have a couple of opens um, first couple of opens on something where I know we're gonna have a lot of people it's it's cheap because I paid I pay them really well because I, I want the best ones I pay them a um, hundred hundred and fifty bucks to, to come and just because they can get information I I, will, I, will, I couldn't get you know I'm not that pretty
0: how do you find these hostesses one's just a friend who PR girl, and she, she just loves doing it, you know, so she just has fun doing
1: it, she's got a PR company, and but 33, and, and so you know, they're just different people that kind of enjoy getting out and meeting people and, and helping out, you know, and they, not so much they even need the money, but in some cases maybe one of our assistants who will want to make some extra money, uh, but it's great because I can focus on the people, and I don't have to focus on trying to corral all the information and then a couple of them are really good i've really only got a couple that i use and they'll get information they'll ask questions about where do you live and if you thought about selling they'll even ask some prospecting questions and then come get me and say this guy's interested in something in particular because they'll share that they're looking and you know and i'll have them ask you prospecting questions because they're really outgoing women. So they'll literally just come and drag me away from somebody else and take me to somebody that said that they might be a
0: buyer or a seller. Any other recommendations for a successful open house?
1: I think it's staying alert and uh, you you have to know who you're looking for because otherwise you could get caught up talking to anybody about anything and and not really paying attention to finding people that have changed in their life. So it's, it's difficult. You know, you have these people at the in and you get a connection with somebody it just personally. And then all of a sudden you're off on a tangent. I'm off on a tangent with them. The main thing is to just stay aware that, that I'm there and and it's a business day, you know, and I'm, I'm not watching a football game or, you know, something like that. You know sometimes the guys are watching a football game or, or whatever. So, Uh, You can get, some people will put out refreshments sometimes, not generally because we don't want to make a mess in the house, but, you know, give away scratch pads. We have these pens, made these sign-in pens that look a bit like Montblanc pens, and we put four or five of them out for people to sign in, but also to take
0: are you ever concerned about these open houses with uh, the safety issue for the items that are in there? These, these are higher end homes. They might have nice furnishings. Are you ever worried that someone's casing the house or might try to pocket something? Yeah, we're pretty careful about that.
1: We we tell people we, you know, we're really tough on sellers about putting stuff away. and uh, And it's Many times the things that are taken aren't the most expensive things, but they can be the things that might have a special meaning to the seller. Somebody stole a a clock off a desk of one of my clients, and it was a $3 clock. She was an import-export person, but she was so angry because she knew she couldn't replace it. It was just her favorite little clock that sat on her desk. And drugs are a big thing, you know, making sure people put away the prescription drugs because we got people rifling through looking for Ritalin and antidepressants and stuff like that. So if we have a, if it's a larger house um, and we can't trust that people are going to put everything away, then I just make sure I do it with two people, one up, one down. One other thing that you can do that, that works really well too, actually, is that we've uh, um, we have these little signs that we we bought that said you're on camera. And we bought these re- real cameras, and they have a cord that comes out of the back of them like they're plugged in. And I just stick the cord in the hole that you use for the screws so it looks like it goes down into something. And literally, I'll put that anywhere. I put it on a banister before on a house when people walk in and kids are dancing around in front of it, thinking that they're being filmed. <laughs> and people say, "Are you actually videoing?" Yeah, we do. We video for security purposes. So it sets the tone with somebody coming in um, that you know you're being videoed. They aren't. But in some cases, there. A lot of these houses have video. I've had people, you know, they've got it in their master bedrooms they can go online and watch us that our open that's the other thing that agents have to just expect that people coming in either know the seller or that they're being interviewed for their next potential job because their cameras a lot of these houses have cameras and they can be you know all over the house they can be in specific rooms or closets so you just have to you have to be in an open house you have to be present
0: charles let's do this let's talk about your team And in this case, I want to talk about the the folks that helped you close your 27 closings last year, 85 million, your personal production. It sounds like you have one personal assistant. What does your personal assistant do for you?
1: She answers the calls that come in on on my direct line at the office, which aren't that many, actually, because I give my cell phone out to everybody. It's just easier for me not to have to... Uh, think that I have to check voicemails all over the place. I, I like it just my home phone I don't even use it anymore. But it, the, the number I've kept these years, it's call forward it to my cell. I know a lot of people don't like to have everybody have their cell, but uh, I just answer it when I, I you know, it's convenient to answer it. If I'm with somebody, I never I never answer my cell phone unless I think it might be an emergency and when people get frustrated, if they can't get a hold of it, they say, look, you know, when I'm with somebody, like if I'm with you, I'm, I'm only going to answer the phone if I'm not with somebody. So if I'm with you, I'm with you. I'm not going to pick the phone up. So just understand. So she, it's great for her because they can, because sometimes they just call her direct and they know they can get the information, and the answer from her quickly because she's sitting at a desk all day long. So that she does that, and then she kind of keeps just track of uh, people calling, saying, hey, can I get an appointment for lunch or something? A friend will call, and, and she'll say, hey, you want to do this? And so she'll take care of all that, a lot of the nonsensical, you know, uh, even some of the personal stuff, calling the insurance company for this or that. She takes stuff out of my brain, basically. She doesn't necessarily run the escrows or manage the the, the listings, that's not her job. Her job is really to keep my brain, what's uh, dripping and dropping out of my brain, you know, relevant, and making sure that I'm not making mistakes, reminding me of appointments and things like that. Now, I usually remember, but it's just nice to know that I don't have to think about it. And she answers a lot of questions. Clients love her, and they they're just as happy sometimes talking to her, sometimes more more excited about talking to her than me because we can get a hold of her quicker. And she'll get it done just like that. If they're asking, hey, can you send me that, send me a sheet on that house that Charles has sent me something on Twenty Second Street? Can you send me a flyer on that?
0: Charles, does that mean that you are handling your own escrows and the paperwork with your listings?
1: Like, if I go to do uh, a listing presentation, yeah, I'll do the paperwork with them right there, because I, I just to my I, I got another one of my partners who he'll do the contract but he wants an assistant to do all the rest of it. And I'm already there, and, the, you know, the disclosures and stuff, sometimes people get confused by them. So I, that's just my thing. I, I, I'll I fill it all out with them right there. And as to when I sell something, I'm doing all – I mean, I'll have the girls now, because of DocuSign and everything, I'll have one of the girls, you know, print the offer up, put it in DocuSign, you know, do zip forms. I I don't do that anymore. They do it because it's they're so much quicker. So if it's the weekends, I'll I'll do that or answer you know, I'll answer stuff over the weekend or my assistant is looking at my email too over the weekends and in the evenings just to see if any of that kind of stuff is happening. But so they'll write up the offers, I'll have them send it, and then they'll they'll come back to me and then I'll call the seller, and then they'll they'll send the stuff off to the seller. So they they maintain the conduit relationship of sending paperwork out and back and stuff like that same thing when it gets into escrow i have an escrow coordinator she she interfaces with the escrow officer because we have uh, escrow officers here we don't use lawyers we don't sit around a table you know on closing we don't do that it's it's all done through a neutral escrow party so we have somebody who just manages those and then you know if somebody just needs to do an inspection. They'll go do the inspections and I'll show up maybe at the end it's for the review. But generally, I try and get as much administrative stuff off my plate so that I can be on the phone talking to people or showing property. They'll even show some of the listings. If, if we're not available, they'll show the listings too.
0: I think we alluded to earlier, you have this one personal assistant that works directly with you and for you. You also have basically uh, four staff members that are shared between you and the other partners, and that included escrow coordinator, listing coordinator, marketing coordinator, office manager, and these are the people that you're talking about who will take care of some of this paperwork, correct?
1: Right. They're all cross-trained, so they they can all do everything, but they each have their own specific uh, chores and then they will help out for instance when the the listings are rolling in Natalie then uh, they'll help the listing coordinator get paperwork out and the ads set up and all that sort of thing and then we have a marketing company that we hired that owns this magazine and they do all our they now do we just uh, went to that they do all our our flyers now and all our artwork they shoot our listings and that kind of thing so we we run a four page ad in that magazine, and then we decided to use them as our as our marketing coordinator too. We have a marketing coordinator in house for you know stuff like getting things coordinated for the MLS and that kind of thing. But we have a company now that also handles PR, the social media, and that kind of thing.
0: Charles, there there are going to be people that have been listening to us. We've been chatting about the structure of your personal production. And the question they're going to have is, are you profitable?
1: Yeah, we only spend about, uh,
0: on average, it's consistently less
1: than 25% of our growth uh, goes to expenses. It sometimes is 18 to 20. A lot of times it'll be at times it's been as low as
0: 18%. That's fantastic. So. Basically, your profit margin has been somewhere around 75% plus. Yep. Well, Charles, what drives you?
1: I, well, I like what I do, and I, I, I enjoy the relationships. I'm a people person. I really like meeting new people and, and dealing with new people, and I I love dealing with the clients that I have. I have some really great clients, and i got some very wealthy clients, and I've got, you know, some kind of normal people, <laughs> but they're all interesting. You know, I've got a lot of entertainment people, and I've got um, one of my guys' is best friends is uh, president and CEO of the biggest hospital in the city. And so I've, I've got a whole smattering of of different people. So it's, it's, it's always interesting and always fun to be in communication with them. I, I don't have any problem picking the phone up. I used to because when I was just, shooting the breeze with people, I always felt like I was on the hustle and I never liked it, but I did it. And then once I got clear that I was actually in business and that it would be interesting for these people if I had something to tell them about that I thought they might be interested in, it just changed the whole dynamic of making the calls. I can make them one right after the other now, because I know that I could find somebody that actually would Uh, find it interesting or they could send me to somebody that's interesting so I think it's just I get driven by the people I mean I like success I like to see the company doing really well and I like to see the individuals in the in my group you know thriving and 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 doing well so it's um, I just uh, I guess I enjoy the business I, I work a lot but it's because I like to I enjoy I will stay late at night sometimes because it's it's quieter here than it is at home. You know, after everybody leaves at five, I can start working. You know, because everybody's after me all day long for all the admin stuff and the you know the management stuff because I'm managing people and all this other stuff and the separate company and so on top of that, I'm doing this production. I mean, I'm 50 percent. I do 50 percent of the production for our partnership. So I have to do what everybody else does every day. Plus, I, you know, help manage the company. So, but it's the fun part is the business part of it. And frankly, it's 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 not brain surgery doing this job. But for for all the new people on this call, I don't care if you've done one deal this year, or if you haven't done your first deal. It's all about talking to people. It's. It's just spending your time focusing on people and asking questions so you can find out if there's change and you can start doing deals immediately. you're now proactively developing business as opposed to spending money on marketing and all this other stuff on social media you know I mean all that stuff is is fine, but it, it's not what is it's not what drives me. I like talking to the people I know that that's where the business is. I prefer to talk and and be proactive about it than sit and wait for my ads to send people to me. That makes me uncomfortable. I know I make a lot of money. If I make 15 to 20 calls, I I make easily a million dollars. If I'm not making those calls, I don't feel that comfortable. I don't feel that comfortable waiting for somebody to call. If I make those calls... That is what drives me every every day because I know that I'll make um, as much money as I need if I make those. I'd make more money than I need if I make those calls. If I make 20 every day, there's more business than I can handle. I'm giving it away.
0: Well, Charles, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting into business, what would you tell them to do first?
1: Well, this is a commercial for somebody else, but they should look up FredWilson.com or fredwilsoncoaching.com and sign up for his $29 a month service. Cause, and, and I, and I listen to him every day. He's on for, you know, five minutes at six Oh five in the morning and, and it replays again. And then it, at seven thirty he has a call and, He's probably been the one that's been the most influential in my business in the last five, eight, ten years since I've gotten involved with him, because he's all about building. A lot of what I've talked about is what he teaches every day. He just talks about how he, how he's committed to conversing with people, and and it's all about the questions that you ask, you know, and, and asking questions that are going to give you answers, open-ended questions, so that you can understand what it is that person is all about and find out if there is change. And I, I always say that you could drop him into Topeka, Kansas tomorrow, and he'd be an escrow by the end of the month. He, he does 50 to 100 deals a year, um, and he runs a company, and he has a, he has a coaching program, But and he works about five or six hours as an agent in, during the day, maybe four or five. But he's really good, and he's developed the skill of Q&A. And I, I love listening to him because it's usually he's just saying, yeah, well, you know what happened to me this morning? This is what went on this morning in my car. I've stopped and talked to this person. So as a new agent, I, man, I wish I'd had somebody like that to listen to each day and to, to follow the structure because it, it just it takes it from being a new agent to being a productive agent immediately. He has people working for him on, the, on Palm Springs that are brand new agents that are averaging a deal a month. Uh, that would be the first thing I would do. I would, I would call because if you listen to him, you realize how simple the business can be just by communication with people. It's not about marketing. It's not about social media. It's not about any of that. It's about communicating with people every day, finding people to talk to just because you're walking by people. And that's what generates me and my business every day is that, I have those conversations. I'm getting I'm not I'm not as I'm not as good as he is about you know staying on track with conversations sometimes because I know a lot of the people that I call and we do get off tangent sometimes on, on the personal stuff. But as a new agent, you don't have to get off on tangents because you don't know the people, so you, you can you know tell them at the business call if you're calling a friend he, he'll do that he'll just say he'll announce that it's said hey Mike. Uh, how are you you know maybe you and I are really good friends and say this uh, just Mike this happens to be a business call uh, okay. and so I'll do that now with friends you know and they say oh really what what is it that you're? so you, you you get it into the business mode immediately as opposed to it always being uh, you know sidetracked and nobody's ever offended by it they're actually kind of surprised and they think great well good so what is it that we're going to talk about here
0: Charles, do you think that top agent interviews, like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent, are valuable?
1: Yeah, no, I think they're invaluable. I'm a, um, and you know, I'm a nut for information. I, I go to all the programs that I can. You know, to become a better person, better salesperson, whatever. Tony Robbins, I've been to all of his stuff, and. You know Zig Ziglar and all those guys because I, I think this is the same kind of thing and it's, it's the action part of it when when you're talking to agents I I love listening to how other people are doing things because I I'm not doing everything that can be done I'm not I'm not the, the best agent I know you know <laughs> I know some agents are much better agents than I am I mean somebody might dispute that but there are some very very successful agents in my marketplace and. I admire them. I love talking to them about how they're doing it because everybody does it a little different and everybody has to find their own way to do it.
0: Well, Charles, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners?
1: No, just that, you know, I think, for, I think the main thing, you just, you got to be secure in the, in the thought that there is plenty of business. There's more business around each agent really than they can do. That's the truth. The truth is there's more business than they can do. the The question is, are they going to slow down to speed up? Are they going to slow down, ask a lot of questions, look for change, and develop all the, the leads that they're walking by every day? I think we walk by more business than we again we're thinking about. Well, there is no business out there because there's no there are no listings in the top markets. And I think as we think that we're walking down the street, we're walking by people that are thinking about doing something. So I, I think the biggest thing is to to know that there's more business around each of us than we can ultimately do. And the, the key is to ask, okay, where? Where is it? I'll always be questioning. So what, what what's there? What's what's here? What's in this conversation with this person? where's the next deal going to come from, you know, and who could I talk to about when you run into a great listing, who could I call about that? And you could virtually call anybody. That's my, since I've been dealing with Fred, I realized that there isn't anybody I couldn't call about virtually anything that I, that I find that could be of interest to people in general. There's a, you know, historic house that comes up uh, that's for sale that ten or twenty million. You could call somebody who's living in a condo 'cause they're 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 going to appreciate it and you never know who they know. You never know who they know and you never know where they are in their life that day. So I think the parting shot is just stay alive in the business because there's more than you can handle. And if you if you just challenge yourself to find it, it's like an Easter egg hunt. Fred's always talking about it. it's really he goes hunting every day. He's on his Easter egg hunt. He's looking for the, the next egg and the next clue. And that's what can be really fun about the business if you treat it that way, like it's, uh, like it's an Easter egg hunt, like you're, really, you're out hunting treasure hunting.
0: Well, Charles, you found treasure in your real estate career. By focusing on having conversations with 15 to 20 people per day and looking for change in their lives, you simplified your business and amplified your success. You look for connections and opportunity in everything you do. From presenting real estate opportunities while making sphere of influence calls and meeting new people at open houses, to walking down the street or getting a cup of coffee at Starbucks, you are constantly meeting people, making connections, asking questions, and looking for life change. You truly love real estate and the people you help, and it shows. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 163 homes last year worth $41 million. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to success calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.